0: Reading from Acts 1, starting with verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Al-Kadema, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So some of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. The word of God for the people of God. Please be seated.
1: Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. What is in a name? I'll be honest with you, a lot. A lot. A lot is in a name, that's why whenever we decide to, to, to pick a name for something that we care about, there are a lot of time and attention and reflection and seeking other counsel. Um, I, I, I know of only one person who ever, I doubt if she's the only one, but I know of only, only one person who ever has changed the name of a child when the husband was out of the room for a moment. Her name is Andrea, I love her. But we had a name selected for one of our children, and I know I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, yeah, but it was one of the middle names, and you Johnsons have so many middle names, does it really matter? Well, it mattered to me, and his name was supposed to be Mackenzie Charles Hayden Johnson. And I left the room, and she had the paperwork, and we had agreed it was going to be Mackenzie Charles Hayden Johnson. And when I come back, I, there's this completely different kid in our room. <laughs> and I know, again, you're going to say, I don't think there's much of a... There's a tremendous amount of difference. It was supposed to be Mackenzie Charles Hayden Johnson. And I come back. Are you ready for this? Mackenzie Charles William. What? What? That is That is ridiculous. I can't believe she did that. So... And we had to have another son, and his name is Maxwell Hayden Douglas Johnson. So it worked out, but she changed the name. What's in a name? Well, there's a lot that's actually in a name. It's interesting that today we're going to be talking about names. Um, The title for this message is 12 minus 1 plus 1 equals 12, which isn't just a, a math issue, it's actually a theological issue. The Bible speaks very importantly, about names and about numbers, because somehow they matter in the great scheme of things. What's in a name? Well, there's a lot that's in a name, and you know I'm going to mention it, so I'm just going to do it now. The name Heidi May is just a beautiful name. There she is sitting right there. Unlike Zane, I'm not going to try to like squeeze some kind of sympathy time with her. Um, We can do that at another moment, but when I hear the name Heidi, I've known other Heidis before, and just shooting nothing right over my head. Now you say the name Heidi May, and I I, I have a face. What's in a name? Well, you know it. It's a lot. When it's your name, someone says your name, especially when it's like you did something or you won something, and they say your name, it's a lot. Um, When they say your child's name, and again, in a good way <laughs> not in a bad way but when they say it in a good way you just there's something that registers right something that creates a tremendous amount of excitement and the bible lists these names and right here in the book of acts before it all explodes next week in chapter 2 they're gathering together and they're waiting and luke decides in this moment of waiting to just recount the names to mention them, and every name—this is—I want you to remember this. Every, every name is a life, and every life is a story. And then we come together, and there is a collection of stories. So, although although Heidi may probably won't get a lot out of today's message, I'll ask her later what she learned. We'll probably go over some things. I'll so make sure she was paying attention; didn't spend the whole time sleeping, right? It's really not so much that every time she comes to church, she remembers everything. How many of you have gone to church and didn't remember everything? Anybody else? Didn't apply everything? Didn't even get everything? That's okay. Ryan did a great job last week encouraging us not just to get everything that we can every moment we're at church, but to remember that we're part of a story. See, Heidi May is here today because she's part of a community. She's part of a story. And so in the end, she doesn't have to get everything. I love that. She doesn't have to remember everything. She doesn't have to get everything. Wherever your kids are right now, anywhere in the building, they don't have to get everything. They don't have to know everything. Why? Because what they don't get, someone else will get. And what they don't remember, the good news is someone else will remember that for them. Because Heidi May is, 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 is a name which is... A life, which is part of this amazing story, about this amazing God, that says, um, I, "I know the numbers, and I know the names, and I've got it all, and I need you to trust me." See, that's what's in a name. Part of a story. Under the control of God. See, I guess that's hard when we start thinking about the the specifics. That when we start, like, names are personal. As long as I just talk about the nation of Israel, it's kind of easy. When I talk about America, well, you know, it's America. I'm glad to be a part of it. But that's, you know, the bad parts of America, that's not me. Like, I'm not the bad part of America. I'm the good part of America. So if you want to talk about all the problems with America, that's not me. But then when you start talking about Jim and you start talking about like when I'm getting wrong and how I'm contributing to the problem, like that's, that's personal, that hurts. And what we actually see in Acts chapter 1 is this list of names and they're an intimate group. These are the, these are the 12, these are the ones that are alongside Jesus every step of the way, And if it were me, and I was going to be selecting 12, and I knew that this 12 would matter, and especially if I was like all-knowing and all-powerful, I would make sure that there was never subtraction, that there was never anything but addition. You know what I mean? And that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is, is... is, is much different. If, if I were God and I were in control, this is what I think I would do. But it's a little bit of a Bruce Almighty moment. You know what I'm talking about? But if it were me, the way I would do it is it would always work in one direction. It would always work in one way. It would always have kind of this overarching onward and upward, one step at a time, always progression, never subtraction. But that's not the story of the Bible. And if we're going to be honest, what we wrestle with, what we genuinely struggle with, is the difficulty of remembering that God is at work. Remember this in the book of Acts. God is going to be at work, not just when everything is going well, but God is at work even when life appears to be stuck or even going in the wrong direction. What we actually see in the book of Acts, before the Spirit comes and there is this outpouring, they actually stop for a moment and say, hey, let's go back and look at what happened. And it's not just that Jesus died and then was buried and then was resurrected and ascended. But remember when there was 12 of us? Like, should we say his name? Like, Do you remember Judas? Did we even talk about him anymore? Or do, or do we just kind of put that part of our lives, that, that part that, can we just forget about that? It's so interesting. We kind of read through this last section. Had somebody stop me in between services and said, I was really curious what we were going to do with this section. And I thought, me too. I've never preached this part before. We usually skip over it. Like, what does this even really matter? Okay, fine. They, they cast lots and they pick a new disciple. Big deal. Let's get the Holy Spirit moving. But no, Luke says, I, I need you guys to be aware of this. And I have to just stop for a moment and realize that as we're talking about the disciples waiting, they're waiting and they're looking around And it just seems different. You ever have a meal and and that one person who's always been there isn't there anymore? Just seems weird. Seems kind of out of place. What do you do? Well, it's Judas. Does it matter? Um, I would assume it mattered. Like I I would assume that um, because the Bible makes it very clear. He was one of the 12. He was one of the 12, you know. Like, it wasn't a mistake. The Bible doesn't let us just make it that simple. Oh, that was just a mistake. No, it wasn't. It was a, like a real human being, a real life with a real name, part of God's plan. That, that makes me rethink what it means in my own life. When I feel like things are stuck or going in the wrong direction, see, I begin to wonder does God know what He's doing? How many of you kind of reading through the story of Jesus selecting the 12 and it mentions Judas and you just have to stop for a moment. Does Jesus know what he's doing? How can you be all-knowing and all-powerful and have a Judas in your life? Well, It's not the only name that goes like that, actually. The Bible's full of them. I, I didn't take the time to list them all, but can I just share some with you now? Have you heard of the serpent? How about Cain Pharaoh or Balaam or Achan or Abimelech or Delilah, Doeg or Balak or Ehud or Goliath, Nabal, Absalom, Athaliah, Jeroboam, Ahab, Jezebel, you knew she'd be on the list, Jehoram, Gomer, Yehu, Sennacherib, Manasseh, Nebuchadnezzar, Haman, Herod, Caesar, Caiaphas, Barabbas. Alexander, Judas. Now there's a list of names. What do you do with a list of names like that? Each one of these somehow spending much of their time and attention trying to undo what God is doing. I promise you, Judas isn't the only name on that list that makes me scratch my head. All of them do. And yet when they are mentioned... Nowhere does the Bible go, yeah, and God didn't know what to do here. Yeah, God was really confused there. God didn't know what he was doing here. What I love about the Bible is the incredible honesty in which it forces you and I to deal with these rather profound thoughts that God is in complete control. And he has a mission and he has a purpose. And please... For the sake of their mothers, don't just dismiss them. And don't just assume that like God doesn't care about them. Don't assume that he doesn't love them. Don't assume that somehow he acts somewhat robotically in history. I would say the Bible doesn't really give you that option with God. These are a list of names and maybe I'm in that season right now or that week of my life where you just look at a little one and all you can imagine are good things happening and then I have to stop and I go, that once was true for Mrs. Hitler, right? Like Mrs. Hitler held Adolf in her arms and just had like hopeful thoughts for him. You ever think about that? I do. It seems crazy to me. And see, that's what Acts chapter 1 kind of deals with. What does it actually look like to wait on God in the midst of the fact that just 50 days ago, things were so different? And, and I guess you need to just stop and to recognize that, that this is what life is like. That life is this constant, not, not just a temporary waiting on God, but a constant waiting on God, waiting to receive from God instruction, waiting to receive from God direction, waiting to receive from God another reminder, not just of his love and his mercy and his grace, which is abundant, but his direction. That's what the disciples are doing. What does waiting look like? These three questions we're going to be dealing with this morning from our text. What does waiting look like? Why do the scriptures need to be fulfilled? And, and ultimately, how involved is God in his mission, especially with a list of names like that? Well, the first one, what does waiting on God look like? The text makes it very clear. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus speaking. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise from the Father. And so they are in Jerusalem waiting. But this is what waiting looks like. For us, waiting looks like, you know, kind of waiting at the um, uh, the District of Motor Vehicles, like sitting there at the DMV, just kind of waiting, and you got nothing to do, and you're glad there are iPhones, right? That's kind of what waiting is. It, it seems like purposeless. It seems so passive. But that's not what we see in the Bible. And, and I would even say that if you're waiting on God, okay, let's 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 just go there in our own minds. I'm waiting on God to what? I'm waiting on God to resolve a conflict in a relationship that means a lot to me. I'm, I'm waiting on God to know the next step and where he wants me to work. I'm, I'm waiting on God to know, like, how I could better lead my family. How I could take a... A larger and more substantial role in being the spiritual director of my home. Um, I guarantee you, whenever there are little ones that are born, I'm I'm really I've become very sensitive of the people who are just still waiting, waiting. I know of a of a a couple that are waiting because later today they're going to get married. They're waiting. But it's not just a time, I mean, waiting to see for the mom and dad. I'm just waiting to see what God does with this new marriage. and this. New, what, what do we do while we wait? Just kind of sit back and twiddle our thumbs? What, what the Bible seems to describe, when the people of God wait, when the community of God waits, is something very different than what most people think of waiting. It, it's not passive. It's not disengaged. I want you to think of like this idea that God is constantly moving. God is constantly involved. God is constantly on the move. And while we're waiting to engage God in this cosmic gear, it's good for us to be moving. Okay? It's good for us to be engaged. Because if not, as this gear is moving and this gear is standing still, get ready for a jolt. And I would even argue that all throughout the Bible, while people are waiting, or God, it, it, waiting on God, it's not a passivity. It is a very strong activity. Hear me, it's a strong activity, but it's human activity, not God activity. It's, it's recognizing that there is something that I can do as I wait on him. And I, I, think, I think we see a great example of this in verse 14 of our text. Listen to this. And all of these, while they're waiting... We're with, with one accord. And by the way, that's not just, they were hanging out and they were in the same room. No, there, there is a unity that exists that is not passive. Promise you. For us as a church to stay one is not just us showing up all the time. And, and again, think of the disciples. They weren't always all on the same page. List of twelve. Now 11, the list of 11. And in midst of that 11, they're in one accord. And we just look at that and go, yeah, well, you know, you know, you get 11 Jewish men together, what would there be to disagree about? Everything. Literally everything. But no, if we're actively waiting for the Lord to empower us to send us out missionally, no, we are going to actively work hard to remain one. And all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. The way that word is, it's kind of like they were praying, and it's used in what is known as the imperfect tense, which means they're never going to perfect it. They're never going to get to the end of it. It's something that is ongoing. So they are devoting themselves as they stay one, and they're waiting, and they're working to stay one. They are also working in the sense of praying to God. They are seeking his favor. They are seeking his direction. They are seeking truth about him. See, that's what it means to wait. So many times when I talk to whether it's college students or um, people new with a, a new family or whatever it might be, and we're just waiting to see what God's going to do. Oh, well, what are you doing while you're waiting? Well, you know, Nintendo, Xbox, football, shopping. I'll tell you, when you finally engage with God, be prepared for a jolt. Like Biblically speaking, what it, what it means to wait on God is to be deeply and intimately connected with his community and continually pursuing through prayer, I believe also through worship, sometimes through fasting, to actively know and respond in our hearts and minds to the fullness and to the truth of who he is. So can we just end once and for all this idea that somehow to wait is nothing? No, but to wait is to live in the shadow of his grace, in the shadow of his love, and also in the shadow of his purpose and the shadow of the long history of faithfulness that God has already demonstrated The disciples aren't completely confused about what the future is going to hold because they have a lot of pages describing what God has already done. And maybe that's why Peter looks at this situation and sees the empty chair with Judas written on the back of it. And maybe there's a sense in which he's surprised. And maybe there's a sense in which he kind of gets it. I don't know specifically if he, if he understood or knew that somehow Judas was going to be a problem, but here are the two things that Peter knows. The first thing is this, is that the scriptures just describe like who God is. This is why they're, they're praying and they're seeking him. They want to know fully who he is because God hasn't left the fullness of who he is somehow hidden or secret. God like reveals, constantly reveals who he is. So Peter and the other disciples can actually look into the scriptures. That's what we're going to see what he does here. They look into the scriptures and they go, oh, that's what God is doing. Because God has already revealed who he is. And not only that, but they look into the scriptures to remind themselves that even though it might look like God is not doing anything, because that's what it looks like sometimes right now. What is God doing right now? I don't know, probably just hanging out. No, the Bible describes God as actively engaged in the world. I think we think that God is way more disengaged than he really is. To, to show the active engagement of God, I want to just give you a couple of verses to kind of have run around in your brain. One of them is this, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25. Listen to these words from the book of Ezekiel. For I am the Lord, and I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. See, I'm basically, what I say gets done, right? Right? See, that that means there's this active engagement that exists. Here's another one that I love. I recommend that you write it somewhere. Your heart or mind would be the best place. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. For those of you that begin to wonder, and I get it, the silence of God or what appears to be the inactivity of God in your life. Isaiah 46 actually says this about our God, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, here's God speaking, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So Peter's not confused. I know you and I wonder what was Jesus thinking when he got Judas. But why did he do that? Peter looks at it a little different, and he just sees God's hand in it all. And so he does something very interesting. He, he describes that in this active time of waiting, there is something that we, we almost know from the scriptures that they need to be done. Look around, let's count them out. There's 11, there, there was 12, 12 minus one, we, we, need, we need one. Well, why did Jesus need 12? Well, we don't know exactly. It's not like nowhere, or it's not like anywhere Jesus said, here is why I have to have 12. Because if I, I had 13 or if I had Ten, it wouldn't have worked. We don't know that. We don't have an explicit reference as to why. But it appears that what Jesus is doing is he is demonstrating to the people of Israel that God is doing a new work through his Messiah. And that God is in this new work. He is reorganizing Israel in a new way. And he selects 12 disciples to follow him. And people are looking around going, wow, okay, there's a king um, who claims to be king, and he's organizing with twelve disciples, and all they, they make sure every one of the gospel writers. There were twelve disciples. It's like this reorganization of Israel. This this God is on the move again in the world, and here's what is happening. And in the midst of that, when Judas leaves, it's it's not just that that someone was gone. It's the, like something now needs to be done. And and Peter looks into. The way that God has spoken and the way that God has acted in the past and says, I think there's a correction that needs to happen here. So he pulls two Psalms, okay? Psalm 65 and Psalm 109, he pulls from the Psalms these, this idea that what actually happened with Judas. Now again, I'm not asking you to necessarily like fall in line or this is going to answer every question about why Judas or how Judas. No, I don't think it will. I'm gonna let him take care of that with you personally when you see Jesus face to face. But what Peter does do is he looks at their circumstances. He sees the vacant seat, and he realizes if we are going to continue the mission of God in the world, then that chair needs to be filled. And I'll tell you this: what what Peter is drawing attention to is not that Judas has died and therefore needs to be replaced because. Disciples are going to die, and they don't replace them. It's not Judas' death that causes them to need to replace it. It's Judas's abandonment of the seat. It's his apostasy. It's his rebellion. This needs to be filled. And so what does Peter do? He, he finds in these two Psalms, first, Psalm 65, verse 25, He sees this quote. Here's what it says in Psalm 65, 25. Let their camp be a desolation and let no one dwell in their tents. Now, when I read that in Psalm 65, I don't think, oh, there's Judas. I don't, I'll be honest with you. But what Peter is doing is he is recognizing this way in which God works. Because when you go back and you read Psalm 65, let me tell you what it's about. It is about the enemies of God who decide to rebel against him to undo his work. Oh, that's Judas. And when you go to Psalm 109, what you actually see is a, a psalm that declares what happens to those people who are enemies of God, who are trying to undo the work of God, undo the purpose of God. What is God's plan for them? What is God's purpose for them? Oh, that's Judas. But Peter isn't just ripping words out of context. What he's reaching into is Israel's history and God's eternal plan that when there is a list of those people who are trying to undo the work of God, God has a plan for them. Let me tell you right now that when it looks like your life or God's work in your life is stuck or that it's working backwards... God is not stuck and God is not working backwards. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that, no what happens, no matter what happens around us, the truthfulness of God that was there in the garden and that dealt with the snake when he deceived our first parents Adam and Eve, that did not undo the plan of God. It did not confuse the plan of God. It never confused him. But the deceiver and the liar from the beginning chose to rebel against God and re- then receive the reward of his rebellion. The same thing for Cain. The same thing for Goliath. And the same thing for Judas. So Peter sees this. Psalm 109 verse 8 says, May his days be few, speaking about Judas, the psalmist is speaking about those who would rebel against God. And then may another one take his office. It's interesting. What, what the, the promises of God in the Old Testament seem to be is that, hey, listen, like God is the one who picks kings. And there are good kings and there are bad kings. But in the end, God's in charge of the kings. And I love this line from the book of Daniel, that the Lord God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth and he gives them to whomever he chooses. And that's how you can have a Saul and a David. And you can have an Ahab and a Josiah. And how you can have a Judas and a Peter, I'll do one better, Jesus. Because that's how the plan of God is. That's how the plan of God works. These things need to be fulfilled. And I love the reality of that because God doesn't do this so that we just get how real the Bible is. But I love the fact that the Bible never tries to cover up Judas's tracks. Never tries to make it look like God is in any way confused or unloving or unkind. But in the end, that God is just. And God eagerly rewards those who seek him. And those who rebel against him, God deals with them too. So God knows exactly what to do with Peter. And he knows exactly what to do with Judas. And Peter in this moment says, listen, I I believe, guys, that what we need to do in honor of what Jesus Christ has done is we need to be actively engaged in what Scripture has promised, and we need to replace this. But we don't know how to do it. Like, we can't do it. I, I find it interesting that every time Judas is mentioned... He's either listed among the 12 or there is an explicit reference that he was one of the 12. This is one of my favorite ways in which you see it. John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, verse 71, this is what it says about Judas Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Yeah, it just doesn't pretend deals with the reality of him. But for every time you have a Judas, you find yourself just wondering, okay, I get that the scriptures need to be fulfilled, but how does all of this work together? And, and, and that's, that's the part that I love because what we see the disciples doing is, is not just kind of reading through the Old Testament and guessing at what God is doing, but reading through the Old Testament and then trusting God to do his work. We don't have to guess we're called to trust. We're called to do so in one accord. We're called to do so actively seeking. We're called to do so humbly. We're called to do so consistently. But this is where the church, this is where I can often get it wrong. Is that I can begin to look at the, the mission of the church and I can begin to believe that what is really needed in the mission of the church is good leadership. Good leadership. What is really needed in the mission of the church is for Jim or for the staff or for the elders to do all the things that we need. Because if we don't get it done, what really needs to happen here at the church, what really needs to happen in the fall of of 2018, is that we need to, and we, we can talk about that and we can emphasize that, we can overemphasize that. But what the book of Acts drives at, and what this very interesting story with the very simple replacement of Judas with Matthias is to remind us is that God is the one who is in control. So let me make a bold statement that's really not so bold. I want you to take this with you today that that God is the only one needed to fulfill the mission of his church. Just let that sit for a moment. God is the only one that's needed to fulfill the mission of his church. When I say stuff like that, I, I know... I. People just feel like, well, that just totally makes us feel like we have no purpose or value or importance. I get it. When I first wrote wrote that, I was really worried about those people that would somehow read into that statement something that's not true, which says is that I have no value or no purpose. It's not what the text says, or that's not what the statement says. The statement doesn't say I have no value and I have no purpose. It just says that God is the only one needed, Do you want to turn it around? If if, if that bothers you, hey, tell you what, how how about we make you the one that's necessary? Who wants that? If you're not here next Sunday, we're not having church. Actually, church can't go on anywhere that you're not. So I need you to be everywhere. This is that Bruce Almighty moment, isn't it? And by the way, if if we don't have a ministry, getting ready to go to Poland, if you don't go to Poland, no ministry can happen there. If you don't if you're not in this class, if you're not teaching this class, nothing's happening there. If you're not actively engaged in all of these families, if you're not actively sharing the gospel with everyone, nothing is happening. How many of you get excited when you think about that? How many of you are already wrestling with the weight and the burden of the ministry that you're involved in? How many of you actually kind of believe, well, you know what truth is? We got a lot of stuff that's happening here and Man, if I can't imagine Kyle thinking this, but without Kyle, can there be a duck blind ministry? Yeah. Like without Dan and Rona, can there still be a down home ranch ministry? Yeah. Without Austin and Amanda, can there still be ministry that happens in Ghana? Yeah. You can go through all of these. The only one that's necessary in all of them is God. The disciples know that. And so they actively praying, seeking to be one, and, and then they give it to God. They say, God, we're going to write names, Matthias, and Barsabbas, who is called Justice, and we're going to write these. They cast lots, literally, on either pieces of bone or, uh, or stones. They write their names, and then they cast lots. They shake this up, and then whatever name falls out of the bag is the one that God chose. Now, I know that sounds a lot more like, come on, seven, right? I know that's what it sounds like. This is something that they did in the Old Testament. It is something that they did to find out who was going to take Jesus' clothing. That's gambling. But what we actually have here is a very interesting way to choose they prayed. I don't think there was anything magical in the bag, but I loved what they did. They basically said, recognizing that scripture had to be fulfilled, which the spirit spoke, meaning the spirit is the one driving this. The replacement of this is necessary. In verse 16, it says, this has to happen because the Holy Spirit spoke that there needed to be a replacement. So what did they do in this? They gave it to We don't know who if they're referring to Jesus or God with this statement, but they say in verse twenty four, You Lord, know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen, and then they leave it in God's hands. Now you might wonder, so why don't we do that now? Well, I would argue I like what some people were reminding me of, which is that the Holy Spirit is about to come, and when you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need bags with names and stones. From now on out in the book of Acts, whenever there is a name that is needed or a person that is selected, the Spirit comes and makes it clear. But I believe Jesus was actively engaged in this, and they chose Matthias, and then his name becomes numbered with the rest of them. Why? Because God is not going to abandon his people to a mission. But since he is the only one needed, God is going to be actively engaged. The question that you and I get to wrestle with is how aware are we as we wait? How intentional are we as we actively wait in one accord in prayer to seek and respond to what God is doing in our lives? That when you hear the statement that God is the only one needed, Does it cause you to go, oh, okay, well, then I'm just going to take my hands off the steering wheel. No point in steering now. Or are you going to give thanks to God for what he is doing and then continue to seek his guidance and direction as you find in your own life and in your own relationships the kingdom of God or the story of God unfolding? Unfolding. He had a list of names. And I promise you, when I saw that list of names, I didn't think, huh, my name would never be on that list. My first thought was, why is my name not on that list? What did I do? What did I figure out? What did I accomplish? And the biblical answer is, like, Nothing. It's all because of his grace. It's all because of his kindness. And that's about what's to happen in the book of Acts. As the witness of Jesus Christ goes out, as the word of Jesus Christ goes out, people begin to respond to what God is actively doing. And then the church, the the 12 now, the 120, the 3,000 that are about to get baptized are now caught up in the wake of the movement of God by the Spirit of God as the world is fundamentally changed. Because God is never undone by serpents or canes or Goliaths or Herods or even Judas's. And how do I know this? Because Jesus came out of the tomb and ascended into heaven and promised to send his spirit. So at this time I want to send our servers back and I want to ask the the band to come up as we actively engage our thoughts and our attention around the table. What is in a name? This is the beauty of... uh, of spending some time reflecting on the difference between your name being on a list of people who have decided to openly rebel against God or a group of list of people who have decidedly rebelled against God but then have received his forgiveness through Jesus Christ by faith. The real difference between like that list of names that you saw and the list of names in here. Sadly enough, not everyone in here, but the names of the list in here is that we have chosen to accept God's grace and God's forgiveness. That we have seen him move, that we recognize that he is the one that has actively pursued us in Jesus Christ and now we have an opportunity to celebrate that. So as the trays are passed you will take some of the bread and you will take a cup and I want you to hold it for now so that those peoples whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life which means when you hold these that you have decided to trust Jesus with your sin problem that you are very aware that the difference between you and And those that deserve God's righteous punishment is because of his grace and not your goodness. His mercy and not just how smart you are. And that is why we receive this with great joy. It's why we receive this in a way that um, allows us to be thankful for the work that God has done. This actually reminds me that the only one necessary is not me. It's not our staff or our elders or even our church, but it is Jesus. And yet, because of God's great love, he has invited us to partake. So we'll wait till everyone has some, and then we'll eat and drink this together as the body of Christ.